Good afternoon. I'd invite you guys to head back to your seats. Anita and I are going to move closer together, like we like each other. I oh, that's really loud now. I think you guys all know uh, me and Anita, but some of you may not um, or are unsure. Uh, my name is John McCarthy. This is my wife, Anita McCarthy. Uh, we're two of Jericho's supported missionaries, and uh, we back. We've been back for a little bit uh, in Canada now. We've been back since July. Uh, but you may not have seen very much of us. We have uh, other supporting churches, thank God. And so we have been uh, spending time connecting with, with them and also with, with family and friends and stuff like that. So it's been a, kind of a busy time of that. So, But this is where we call home. Jericho is our home church and has been for a long time. And we're members here. And yeah. So we're going to be... Uh, just talking about some of the, the lessons that we've been learning um, during our time away and, and are still learning as, as, we, as we've returned. And uh, it's going to be about calming the storms. And so if you have your Bibles or you uh, want to turn your device, we're going to be in, in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 to 41. Uh, this is a, a, a Principles, the last slide, it's okay, it's gone, but the last slide was uh, a principles uh, message that he would always put on his, God's got it, so I thought it was cheesy and cool at the same time, um, so I thought we'd put it up there. Okay, so we'll read the text once you guys get there. Uh, if you don't have it, it's okay, it'll be up on the screen. So we're in Mark chapter 4, uh, starting verse 35 and on to verse 41. I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation. Um, yeah. Okay. So as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So everyone has faced uh, storms in their lives. Maybe you're in the middle of one now, or maybe you've just come out the other side of a storm. <clears throat> Our time in Papua New Guinea was difficult and beautiful. It was by no means all storms, but we did face significant difficulties and trials. So whether you're here in Canada facing storms or on the other side of the world, we've been realizing that the lessons, um, the lessons learned in the midst of each storm shared some similarities. Through each storm, we were pushed to rely on God. We were challenged to ask ourselves what and who we believe in and we were required to examine the object of our trust. As we walked through these storms, we were increasingly aware of the fact that these same lessons were being learned by our kids, by the Papua New Guineans, and missionaries around us, and by the youth we were teaching and serving. Our relational God was seeking all of us out in the midst of our storms and shouting through the noise, I am here, I love you, I've got this, I've got you. Through every storm, we felt his protection, and we saw his provision, we were reminded of and caught glimpses of his purpose and his plan. So wherever you are in life, whatever storms you have faced or are facing, we hope that you can be reminded this morning, as we have been reminded, 
uh, that God has never left, that he is present, that he is loving, that he has got this, and that he's got you. Um, so our first storm that we're going to talk about is our own personal uh, storm. Uh, and it started right away when we arrived in PNG. And so we arrived on the coast of PNG. Uh, we were excited to start a ministry. Uh, we were exhausted from all the travel. Um, but we were just looking forward to going to our training, our language learning, our cultural experience, and, and learning from all that. Uh, but it was quickly met with some uh, difficulty and spiritual attack. Uh, our journey began at 4 a.m. Uh, Lucy was sick the day before, and Ben woke up uh, also very sick uh, and needed to be fanned every moment as we rode in the airplane from Australia to, pa to Papua New Guinea. Uh, we arrived in, in Medang, which is where our training was, hit by 100% humidity and what felt like 40 plus degree temperatures. And we met our POC director, POC is Pacific Orientation Course, that's the training that we went through before we began uh, working in Papua New Guinea in the Highlands. Uh, and the rest of the travelers, uh, everyone kind of arrived at the same time, who are also heading up to uh, the place where our training takes place, which is Nob Nob, or Nob Nob, as we often call it. The, the name of the village was, yeah, sorry. We traveled up a steep hill uh, in the back of a pickup truck, at the end of which uh, Ben exclaimed, well, at least we didn't die. <laughs> and he was dead serious. <laughs> he was looking over the edge that looked not that dissimilar to this. Um, so, and we were immediately put in our dorm because uh, some of us were sick and so we were put in quarantine. And so basically to avoid getting everyone else sick, uh, they set us aside, but of course, yeah, we were in the middle of, of uh, just kind of being by ourselves as a family there at the beginning. So we were basically sitting on the cement floor of our dorm, eating our dinners alone because we were quarantined. Um, and then we learned uh, what it looks like to clean up mosquito nets, as basically now everyone was sick and uh, not able to make it to the bathrooms quick enough. Um, and then eventually we all had our turn um, in our welcome to PNG sickness. John's immune system is by far the strongest, and he made it like three weeks before he got here. Yeah. Pretty amazing. <laughs> so after spending a week in quarantine, uh, Anita was spent the, the whole time there because Lucy uh, didn't really improve. She continued to be very sick. Our other boys uh, were on the mend within a few days. Uh, so we were attempting to transition Elliot into the nursery so that Anita and, and I could both go and attend the, the reason we were there, the training. And uh, at that point, Anita was in the room with Anita and she had to listen to Elliot, um, who, was, who was screaming until the point where he uh, was, was throwing up and made himself sick. Um, and was really unsure, Anita was, as to how to navigate that situation because we were brand new there, we didn't know any of the people there. He was being taken care of by Papua New Guinea Nationals, so it was this cross-cultural kind of like, how do we navigate this? Like, we didn't want to step in and whisk him away while they were trying to do what their job was there. So yeah, so after a lot of prayer and um, definitely being honest, a lot of tears, we decided, on my part, um, we decided that we needed to put Elliot's need for security and reassurance ahead of our own language learning, and we opted to make sure that one of us was with him at all times in the nursery. Uh, so many days, either myself or John, we sat on the floor of the nursery reading our yellow language learning book, uh, doing worksheets or reading for our course while just reassuring Elliot with our presence. And I didn't think about it at the time, but I think that this is actually a very real picture of what God often does with us in the midst of our own storms. So he often doesn't take them away, 
but sometimes he just sits with us and reminds us that he is there. So amidst our challenges with Elliot, we were also dealing with Lucy and her health issues. Since arriving in Medane already sick, uh, Lucy never really got better but continued to get worse, exhibiting different symptoms and making numerous trips down that steep hill into Medane to see a wonderful Australian doctor that Lucy wasn't too sure of because he was six feet tall with a ponytail and an accent that was strange to her. Um, she actually would be found at those appointments nodding. Um, she's like one years old, <laughs> but kind of nodding, but fearful. Uh, didn't really know what was going on. So a few weeks later um, came our first meeting with the POC director regarding our family. So the meeting started by addressing Elliot's inability to stay in the nursery without us and went on to address our older boys who were having some struggles in the classroom. And after this meeting, we came away with a renewed passion to work together as a family to support our kids through their difficulties um, that we couldn't remove for them and to do our best to still learn the language and the culture of the country we were planning to serve in. So we didn't understand the storms we or our kids were facing, but we still felt like God was enough and that he still wanted us there. So as we continued to navigate Elliot's fears of being alone and the older boys' struggles with school um, and navigating our own transition, Lucy's sickness got worse and we were finally able to find out that she had contracted an amoeba. And the only medication for it was a giant pill that we had to crush up and get her to take, even though we were warned that it would taste so bad, not even chocolate cake could mask it. And she did, in fact, prove this correct as she vomited all over me one evening in the dining hall. Um, so the spiritual attack was very palpable. We still felt like we were supposed to be there. Uh, we met with our WAS family that you can see there. Uh, that's Francis and Bukai and their boys. Um, they're our guardian family. It's WAS means watch. So our guardian family who was there to teach us about culture and allow us to practice our language, and we loved them. Uh, we saw our kids attempting to embrace the culture and make the best of a difficult situation. We saw Lucy still smiling and being her easygoing self despite her sickness. Um, we saw Elliot trying to have fun with his brothers in the middle of his immense fears um, of all the new and different experiences he was facing, but we also deeply wanted to go home. Uh, we felt responsible for bringing our kids to a place where they had to face hard things and sickness, felt like we were failing to protect and care for them, and we were discouraged. Uh, a few weeks later, we had a second meeting about, uh, that picture is our, our boys making what they call a house cook, so literally a house in which you cook. Um, so they were making an outdoor kitchen. Um, we cooked all of our meals there after the first few weeks. We had to create this outdoor house and cook in there, and my job was to make sure that Elliot didn't run off with the bush knife, which is a giant machete, um, while John made food. So uh, a few weeks later, we had a second meeting about our progress and the situation for our kids, and we were told that the two possible options were that we would go back to Canada or be sent to Ukarampa early and see how our kids would adjust there. So what do you do when you feel like you've done everything you can, but you still feel like a failure? So what do you do when the storms of life make you feel less than and inadequate? So do you give up? We absolutely wanted to in many ways. Uh, we wanted to come home, to go back to this place where people knew us, where people knew our hearts, our intentions. Oh. Uh, our track record, a place where people knew our kids. Uh, and their hearts and their track records, and a place where we felt successful. We liked to succeed, and we hadn't had a lot of experience in failure. Uh, so here we were in Papua New Guinea, excited to serve, excited to teach and mentor youth, to understand the culture, uh, to learn the language, and to get started. Here we had barely begun, but we felt like we had already failed. So that was hard for us. We hadn't failed in a lot of things before. It was hard for us to know 
um, that we had made the decision to come and that our kids were going through these hard times, it was hard for us because ultimately it didn't feel fair. So shortly after that meeting, we were sent up to Karumpa early. Um, we praise God now that we were not sent back to Canada, even though we kind of wanted to come back. Uh, we piled into a vehicle shown there, and we drove five and a half hours to try again to see how our kids would adjust in the center where we would live for the, two, the rest of the two years, out of one storm and unsure of what was ahead. Uh, but we arrived, and we saw God continue to grow up. And more than that, we were able to look back and see how God had been there all along. Our older boys made friends. Uh, Lucy regained her health. Elliot began to settle in and feel secure. And even um, one of the singles who was in the training with us, who had a just a heart uh, for our kids and really saw them, uh, ended up being Ben's teacher for the two years we were there um, through a, a, a bunch of circumstances. And that was a pretty amazing blessing. Uh, so the storms weren't over. It was still a long road for us and for our kids in processing the storms of failure. We still felt like those failures somewhat hung over us and our kids, and we had to bring that to God every day. Uh, we learned that sometimes though God calls us to feel like failures so that we are reminded of how he defines success. He doesn't define success by our achievements or our perfection. He doesn't define success by our self-sufficiency or our comfort. He defines success by our submission, our willingness to act humbly in the midst of what might seem like an unjust situation, and allow him to be our dignity, our defense, and our advocate. And we have to be prepared for his abilities and not our own to be the focus uh, so actually, we have a couple verses, and because we love you so much, we are going to make them read a bunch of them. Um, but first, Ben is going to read one. So He refused to move closer, so I'm going to him. It's a compromise. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, go ahead to the next slide. Which one of you did I text about this one? Okay. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for the, these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long yet they produce for us a, a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we do, don't look to, at the troubles we, we can see now. <laughs> Rather, we fi fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be, soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I'm coming back for you two later. You know that. All right. No. Um, so, yeah, so we had to release our desire for fairness, our desire to be seen and completely understood, and instead hold tightly to the truth that God knew our hearts and that God had called us there for a reason. We had to find a place of stillness where we could be reminded that he wanted to work in us in the midst of these storms. Uh, later on in our term in PNG, I read this quote in one of my Bible studies, and the words really spoke to me. It says, there's a place of stillness that allows God the opportunity to work for us and gives us peace. 
It is a stillness that ceases our scheming, self-vindication, and the search for a temporary means to an end through our wisdom and judgment. Instead, it lets God provide an answer through his unfailing and faithful love to the cruel blow we have suffered. We had to persevere through failure so we could successfully persevere and walk into whatever ministry he had waiting for us in Ukarumpa. And throughout the process, we had to trust that he held the hurts of us and our kids. So when life storms come and we want to run back to shore, we have to remember that God is with us even when we feel like failures and that he is doing something bigger, something significant in his eyes and in our hearts. And sometimes we just have to remember that he is with us, sitting with us and loving us in the midst of these storms. Uh, while I was in the midst of the storms of failure in POC in particular, this song stood out to me, and I'm just going to share a really small portion of it right now. It's by All Sons and Daughters. As I was listening to that while we were there, uh, I was focused a lot more on the beginning part of the song, which is about the hard things and the sadness. And I just wanted to just share that one clip with you because it is like when you can't sing it, that is the reason to sing that he does hold the world in his hands, even if you can't figure it out at the time. Um, so yeah, so we had our own storms of failure. And as we worked through those feelings and then we arrived in Ukarumpa ready to teach and serve and love the youth we met there, we were reminded over and over of the larger reason why we were there. So we had struggled through spiritual attack, but God had met us in the midst of those storms and he had carried us through, oftentimes with reminders of the fact that we were there for a larger purpose. Uh, we were there not only to serve the youth, to, but to support the larger work of Bible translation. So as we began to live in community with those who were also there to support Bible translation, it became more and more clear to us that spiritual attack would not be exclusive to our training. We also received numerous encouragements from those who had been there for years and who had experienced sim similar spiritual attack during their time of training and initial arrival to PNG. Uh, I think one of my favorite memories was um, a couple who was there and had been there for 40 plus years. Um, and when we were sharing our difficulties and still processing how we had felt like we'd failed our training, um, they just said, hands up if you were told that you would never make it here. And so many of them put their hands up, and they had been there for, you know, 30 and 40 years, and so it was just neat to remember what matters most is uh, what God knows about who we are and the strength that God can give us. Um, so God's word is powerful and effective, and he wants to see the people of Papua New Guinea come to a greater understanding of who he is and what his kingdom is all about. And he wants them to be able to hear him speak through his words in a language that they can understand and relate to and read in the context of their culture. But the enemy would love nothing more than to discourage, distract, and destroy those who God calls to whatever ministry in whatever part of the world. So as we sat in Bible studies with translators who had worked there for 30 and 40 years on projects, 
and heard their stories of difficulty and discouragement, we were reminded that God does not promise us life will be easy if we follow him. He does not promise a straight path or a wide path, but he does promise that he will be with us. He will provide and protect and reveal his plan and his purpose while carving out deeper and deeper spaces in our hearts, spaces that, that he can fill with more knowledge about who he is and how he works and in the process that he will show people his glory. So a few particular uh, stories of, of uh, perseverance through this uh, discouragement stood out to us. Uh, this here is, is Murray and Carol. Uh, they're friends of ours through uh, a community Bible study that we were in while um, at our mission space in Ukarampa. And they're also fellow Canadians. They're from uh, Manitoba. And uh, yeah, so they work in the Sepik region, which uh, if you look at the very top of the map, there's a little Sepik river and it's basically a swamp that's extremely hot. So, um, yeah, in the past year, they faced a lot of tragedy in their language group as they worked with the Kwamtari people. And the Hunsbergers had introduced uh, years ago uh, this uh, oral Bible storytelling, and uh, w what they had learned uh, how to tell their Bible studies in their, or their Bible stories in their mother tongue. And there was so much interest across all ages, even into neighboring uh, language groups that were different that pastors began to ask them how they could learn and engage this uh, so, so they could use this method to, uh, with their own people in their own languages. Uh, so in response, uh, Murray and Carol planned to run a series of four OBS or oral Bible story workshops. Uh, and this was in May of 2017 while we were there and in Bible study with them. Uh, uh, they had a, a dear friend of theirs, Carl Campbell, and uh, he was a, a, another uh, missionary translator, and in the Yali group, that was a nearby group, and one of the groups that was going to be coming to this OBS workshop. And while Carl was making the two-day trek uh, to walk from his village to their village, um, Carl suddenly became ill and died. And the Papua New Guineans who found Carl hiked to the Hansburgers village uh, and arrived two days before the course was to begin. And of course, because of this, the course was rescheduled uh, until the end of August. Uh, the first workshop uh, was going to go ahead as planned in August, and people were excited about uh, what, they were, what they had learned, but just before the second oral Bible um, stories course in February 2018 was to begin, uh, a very important person within the Hansburgers village, he died, he was their, he was their brother, um, the village brother, someone that were, they were very close to and someone who had been involved in their translation, and uh, he also died. Um, so following Alex's death, um, his immediate family was, they made the decision to go ahead with the workshop. And this is completely countercultural. Normally when something like this happened, there's a few things that would go on. Firstly, um, there would be some, some people who would, especially if a younger person would die, that would accuse sorcery. And this would of course lead to, um, kind of, you know, further problems down the road. And then, but the other thing is just, they would shut everything down. For, for weeks on end um, to, to mourn. They would have what they call house cries. And, and so then they would have to, again, reschedule this um, oral Bible uh, stories workshop. But so this was completely countercultural to go make the decision to go ahead and run the workshop. And, and of course, they didn't want to let, the, the, the reason why is because they didn't want to let Satan have the victory. Um, and so Joseph, who is Alex's brother, uh, Alex was their village brother who died, uh, shared on Easter weekend what he had learned from the workshop, and he went on to talk about how the work 
of following Jesus, which is not easy, uh, but how he had felt the Spirit of God had been working in all that had happened. And that day, uh, 11 young people responded to the challenge to accept Jesus, and they were baptized right then and there. And the Hansbergers uh, clearly saw that through this spiritual battle uh, that's going on, and it's worth fighting through those storms of discouragement to see how God is going to work through things to show his glory. Um, so another example of perseverance through storms of discouragement um, are a couple, Jim and Joan Farr. And uh, just recently in June, they dedicated the Baruga New Testament. Uh, but before that, they had actually worked for 22 years with the Combio people. Um, but after 22 years of work with them, they were faced with a, a very large dis, just a disinterest from the Combio people in the use of their own language, uh, in literacy, and even in translation of the Bible. And in 2010, they made the decision to close down the project. Um, so since 2010, though a lay pastor and a few others in the village had committed to using their own language in worship and had taken a few courses and found ways to share the good news with their own people. Um, so as Jim and Joan were celebrating with the Baruga people who just received a New Testament in June um, what, that they had been working on with them, they also decided that they wanted to finish well with the Combio people. And so they wanted to bring out 100 audio Bible players and micro SD cards as a lot of the uh, Papua New Guineans will have a cell phone they can put an SD card in, uh, but maybe literacy is not um, is not 100%, of course, in the country, so that's another way to spread God's word. Um, and they thought that this would be complete overkill based on the lack, the previous lack of interest. Uh, but upon arrival, they were blown away by a renewed interest. They sold out, sold out of all the audio Bible players and had to send more. Uh, God had been working in their absence. And this was just a reminder to us and to them that even though God chooses to use us to expand and build his kingdom, that ultimately he doesn't need us. He will work in the hearts of people in ways that we can't predict or understand. And our obedience is necessary for our own growth and in really our relationship with him. And he will use that obedience for his glory, but that he can also work in amazing and inexplicable ways. Um, the last example uh, we were going to share is uh, from my aunt. I think we've mentioned a couple times she was a, a, a big part in, in us deciding to go to Papua New Guinea, obviously because of the history she had there and then uh, my history through that. Um, but Auntie Joy started working with the Kanite people in the 1960s. Uh, and in the early 1970s, basically, they told her to go away. They said, we don't want... Uh, you to do translation. We're actually just going to uh, work in pidgin, or tuk pidgin, which is the trade language, uh, which uh, I think we've shared a little bit. It's just limited in vocabulary and as far as what they can can utilize it for. So she left and, and started work in, in another translation in, in what was supposed to be a related uh, group that wasn't related at all. Um, anyways, fast forward to the 1980s, uh, and then people from the Kaniti people uh, reached out to her and asked her to return and continue the work. And in the early 90s, uh, the Kanite New Testament was dedicated. Anita's got, got it here to show you. Um, and then, but then, of course, not long after that, my aunt retired and moved home to Canada and, and really hasn't been back since. But, you know, we've been back there in her stead. And 25 years later, since this was dedicated, we had the opportunity to meet with Tony. This is Tony. He's a sh little man. Uh, as most Highlanders are, I'm known as Big Palajan in uh, the Highlands, at least. Um, so he worked alongside my aunt, and uh, since our departure in 2018, another dear friend of ours in, uh, that was in POC, the training that we described to you earlier, 
He's become the Highlands Regional Director, and so he's going to pass translation groups to to re-engage them and see like what is the level of you know like what do they need from us? You know, we don't just hand the Bible and walk away, and you know we want to see like what uh, what what kind of re-engagement they need. And uh, he came back with what is really amazing news from a group that had early rejected the idea of needing a Bible in their in their language at all. Uh, they have three talk place, which is basically their tribal language schools, and the students are actually brought up to learn how to read and write in their own language. Um, they are running the schools themselves with no assistance from anybody. And the New Testaments that were dedicated back in the 90s are, are very widely and regularly used. Um, and, and not only that, but they're really wanting to have this audio Bible, which Anita was describing earlier. Um, so... So yeah, so what, what was kind of this discouragement and kind of like, you know, we don't need you anymore, or we don't want you anymore, you know, God took that and, and ran with it in, in the midst of that. So it was such a joy to be able to pass all this information on to my aunt, uh, who hasn't been back to Papua New Guinea since she retired. Uh, so even when we don't understand God's timing, uh, he is still working and still in control, and that he is always working things out for his own glory. Uh, we have sort of an idea of how things are going to go. Uh, we sometimes are passionate about uh, serving God. Sometimes we assume that just because we said yes, uh, that all things should go well. And we think that sometimes uh, there should be a trade-off whereby we exchange our obedience for God's favor. Uh, but we miss that. God is primarily interested in his own glory uh, being displayed in his kingdom's coming and his kingdom coming. And so often... Uh, he will show his glory, not just through our weakness, uh, but through our inadequacies uh, to combat a situation, inadequacies, inadequacies that send us back to him in complete dependence and submission. Um, the Kanite people also, they just, they don't quite understand that, um, that Joy is quite a bit older, but they were asking if she could come back for one of their school graduations in November. So we're seeing Joy tomorrow. We're going to record a little message and then send it to our friend uh, so that they can uh, play it for the Kanite people. Um, but yeah, this next slide, um, I read this during our time in POC just before we were sent up to Ukarampa. Um, as it happened, we didn't. We were all supposed to share our testimonies, um, but in the chaos of kind of what was happening with our family at POC, we actually shared our testimony the morning before we left our training and headed up to Ukarampa. So we've kind of had that feeling that we didn't really get a chance to know the people there. Um, but I shared this then, and I'll share it with you guys. It's from My Utmost for His Highest, which John had brought with us um, to in our bags for POC. It says, we're apt to imagine that if Jesus Christ constrains us and we obey him, he will lead us to great success. We must never put our dreams of success as God's purpose for us. His purpose may be exactly the opposite. We have an idea that God is leading us to a particular end, a desired goal. He is not. The question of getting to a particular end is mere incident. What we call the process, God calls the end. What is my dream of God's purpose? His purpose is that I depend on him and his power now. If I can stay in the middle of the turmoil, calm and unperplexed, that is the end of the purpose of God. God is not working towards a particular finish. His end is the process. That I see him walking on the waves, no shore in sight, no success, no goal, just the absolute certainty that it is all right because I see him walking on the sea. It is, it, it is the process, not the end, which is glorifying to God. So we know that we cannot do it on our own. We cannot imagine, uh, there were days we couldn't imagine how we would make it through. 
Um, and then when we did, when he did come through and he did make a way, uh, even if it didn't look like the way we had hoped, uh, when that happened, then we could only give the glory back to him. So over and over, we saw the blessing in the lives of those around us who let go of their own plans, who surrendered daily um, their own ideas and even their own excitement about ministry and who relied daily on the one who had sent them there to be the one who would carry them through and ultimately to be the one who was the object of and recipient of all the glory. So we saw that God's word translated into the language of those he loves was a labor of love and that through the process, God's words in the face of tragedy and disappointment were always transforming the hearts of the translators and the Papua New Guineans alike. Um, so as we were preparing this, I read this from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting in an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Through the storms of discouragement, we can experience pain. As he's working in our hearts and guiding us to trust him more, it can be uncomfortable and unpleasant. But he has bigger plans for our lives and ultimately for his glory. And it is such a privilege to be shaped by his love in the midst of the storms of discouragement. Um, so last week when the worship team led us in worship, Jordan led us in a song, I Will Follow. And this song spoke to me deeply while we were in Papua New Guinea. Uh, it speaks about following God in the good and in the bad. Uh, it talks about remembering that he is in control and trusting him regardless of the circumstance. So there are um, stickies, little labels, on your seat. Uh, while we play this song, uh, we're just going to play the video of it with the lyrics. We would love you to take a moment and write down some of the storms that you are currently facing or have faced. And to head um, over to the side there, Sophie has kindly drawn us some water and a boat. And, uh, and you can stick your post-it, your label, uh, on the water. And, um, and then please also, while you're back there, there is a stack of papers, and there's some double-sided one page that has some of God's promises on it, just a few encouraging verses that have spoken to us, just a small sampling of the ones you can find in God's word. Um, and later uh, in the service, we're going to take a moment to reflect on God's promises for us in the midst of life storms. So we'll just play this song, and when the song's done, head on back uh, to your seat, and, uh, and we'll keep going. I believe and I 
Feel free if you're still putting things up, that's fine. We teach high schoolers, so we're used to occasionally people being distracted while we're talking. Um, occasionally. Maybe that's the rule, not the exception. I don't know. Um, so yes, which leads nicely into why we love youth so much. So um, finally, as we spent time in our role as teachers and mentors of youth, we saw how God meets us through the storms of change and uncertainty so in so many ways, our time serving the youth of Ukarampa brought us full circle back to the difficulties we faced in our initial training and the lessons that God had started to teach us there. So he was teaching us to rely on him. He was teaching us where to find our identity. He was teaching us that it's okay to fail. He was teaching us to seek him first more than we seek to be understood by those around us. He was teaching us to be anchored in him. And those lessons were hard to learn, but as we worked more and more with the youth of Ukarampa, we saw that these were the same lessons that they were learning and we're going to continue to learn as they face numerous transitions in their lives. Sue, Ryan, give me that. 
Praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So yeah, as we were going through, um, kind of reflecting on those struggles, it was encouraging to us to know that God wasn't wasting any of those experiences. Um, so we all face transitions, we all face change, um, and we need reminders of where to put our hope in and where to put our trust in times of this uncertainty. And so we really uh, felt, um, you know, like as we went through this as well, that we were to direct the youth as they were transitioning away from uh, their lives in Papua New Guinea uh, to living usually back in the States or other parts of the world. Uh, going back and forth uh, due to the call of their parents, which wasn't necessarily their call, um, and simply learning uh, these lessons against a different sort of backdrop. So uh, as we taught these students, uh, we were also community group leaders, so like uh, small group leaders, mentors, and friends. We got to know their hearts, and we got to know their stories, and we saw their deep desire for relationship, and in their lives, uh, relationship is power paramount, as it is in all of ours. Uh, they have deep friendships that are rooted in common experience, and in the midst of a lot of transition, they often hold onto these relationships above all else. Uh, they hold onto those relationships, and when those relationships are separated by distance, they struggle to stay anchored. Uh, these next uh, few photos are taken during what they call Cry Week, which is uh, it's literally a week of the, um, the high school kids crying. Um, and it's kind of like this, you know, uh, when school ends here, it's kind of like this gradual movement away. There is like a band-aid that gets ripped off and, you know, with it, a lot of painful stuff comes up. And uh, so, and so while we were in PNG, we connected deeply with uh, groups of students who were in grade 11 when we arrived in grade 12 uh, during our last year there. And knowing that we would at least be in PNG for two years, um, at least at that point, we knew that. And we were deeply connected with this group as they would be leaving and heading out into the world. And at the same time, we were going to go back to Canada. And we spent time with them, opening our home to them, listening to their worries, and heard their heartfelt prayer requests. And before we left PNG, these students uh, were just hypothetical. They were just this idea that we were going towards. Um, but then, obviously, as we were there, we sat with them face-to-face -face week after week, and we were struck with the deep need they had for people to come alongside them and point them to the one who they can truly anchor themselves in. Uh, we had the opportunity to speak at uh, weekly youth night a couple of times and uh, spoke on identity uh, and, and also on fear. And we also uh, had an opportunity to speak at church uh, to the last Sunday before Cry Week began, uh, that we were asked to speak um, about how we can relate to God in different ways and, and how you know, ultimately God calls us into a relationship with Him um, and trust Him instead of trying to get things from Him. And we had numerous opportunities to share what we were learning with the youth and also to learn more alongside them. And as we did so, our passion to return to PNG grew. Uh, now we are here, and the youth that just graduated from Papua New Guinea are spread around the globe, and they are experiencing a million new things. 
Uh, and here's just a few of the prayer requests they had shared with us uh, before they graduated, and they okayed us to share this type of stuff with partner churches. Transition and um, being able to make some friends because I don't know very many people in the school that I'm going to, and my parents will be coming back after six months, so that I'll have a good community by the time they leave. To be still and know that God is there with me. Just to make more friends and find a group of people that encourages me to be with God more. My relationships. Some of my friends will be literal continents away and it's going to be very difficult to be able to see some again. It's going to be difficult to see my family again as well because they will be staying here for another two years. Peace about the future and that I would find some good friends at college. That I will be able to end well with friends here and keep in touch with my friends here. For guidance for my future. That I will be able to transition well back into the U.S. Um, relationship-wise and um, also have good closure of leaving my home. Wisdom um, in um, my future plans, um, making decisions. I don't really like making decisions, so. I will find um, good community. Finding my peace in Christ um, for my future. For my families to support me well, financial support and yeah, just pray for my studies. Be able to move on and um, start developing um, new friendships, meet new people, and um, move into the next chapter of my life. Um, just looking at the time, just so you know, you're on PNG time. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so these kids were experience the storms of uncertainty. Um, and they're feeling invisible, unseen, and uh, it, is a, it is our heart to continue to work with them, and through the beauty of the internet, we can continue to walk alongside them, um, and then always continue to, you know, point them back to run to God's word, run to his promises, run to the one who truly anchors who they are. Uh, okay, so do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will be will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Oh, sweet. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So we were in Papua New Guinea, and we plan to return for numerous reasons. Uh, we are returning because God asked us to, and we have skills that are currently needed. We are returning because God will make the way possible if this is his plan. We're returning because we believe in the importance of Bible translation and the growth of God's kingdom through more people hearing about his love and redemptive sacrifice. And we're returning because we love youth, and we want to be some of those people who take the time to listen to their worries, their fears, their doubts, and their discouragements and who ultimately point them back to their father who loves them and who has a unique plan for each of their lives and for his glory. So God's word has transformed our lives. His words have challenged and changed us. And over the past two years, his words have walked us through storms of failure, discouragement, 
and uncertainty, and God does not waste anything. So we still don't know all the reasons why we go through the storms we face, but we do trust that he's with us in these changes, and we're passionate about reminding the youth of Ukarumpa that God is their constant as he is ours. So whether your storm is one of failure, one of discouragement, or one of uncertainty, or sometimes maybe feels like all three, they all boil down to fear. Fear of not being good enough, of not understanding God's timeline, of not knowing the plan before we have to walk through it. And our fear, at least for us, has come from a lack of trust at times and a lack of recognition of the one in whom we trust. Um, I read a book recently by Brennan Manning, and this quote stood out to me. It says, the way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses itself only out of a discernment of God acting in the desert of the present moment. The reality of naked trust in the life of the pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious and secure, and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise. Uh, we just want to leave you with this analogy. I was watching the movie Moneyball the other day, and I got kind of emotional after one scene. I don't like baseball, but somehow baseball movies I actually do like. Um, sorry if anyone likes baseball and I've offended you. I have room in one for one sport in my brain, and it's taken up by football. Um, so you see, this past week we've had some other storms. Uh, as it's fitting for what we had hoped to share today, we were asked to live this sermon out uh, as some unexpected issues came up this week. Um, and that gave me a renewed appreciation for my dad and his numerous years of ministry and Pastor Brad and anyone who has to preach on anything because I'm pretty sure they have to walk through it uh, before they preach it, and that's challenging. Um, uh, but as the week was finally winding down, I sat in our house yesterday resting for a minute and watching this movie. I became kind of emotional after this one scene. So in this movie, if you haven't seen it, a group of misfit, rejected, undervalued baseball players are put together by a hopeful faith-filled GM who believes in a system and who believes in them as a team despite their inadequacies. They struggle, they experience failure, they experience discouragements, and they struggle through change and uncertainty, but in the end they experience victory. I can't call it a spoiler alert because it was like a historical thing, so I'm assuming you could have known this, uh, sorry. Um, and when they do, the emotions are high. So in this clip, the Oakland A's, after game after game of defeat, have experienced a 19-game winning streak they enter game 20 and started off with an 11 uh, to nothing lead, only to then lose the lead one run at a time and nearly lose the game, but win it in the end with a game-winning home run by one of the most unexpected players. So the glory really belongs to the GM who put them all together, who saw fit to include them in his plan and his purpose, but the joy gets to be shared amongst those who he saw fit to include. Uh, those in the team had traversed some difficult storms and were given little glimpses of his plan and his purpose along the way, while ultimately needing to trust his goodness, his love, and his wisdom. Sweet. Oh, just. Anyways, um, so I think we are much the same. Uh, we doubt God's goodness, uh, we doubt God's love, and we, we doubt his sovereignty in the midst of the storms. Uh, but he does ask us to hold on and remember who he is, who he has been, and who he promises to be, and to have faith that he is enough. So even though Brad Pitt is not um, an adequate comparison to God. Um, I'm still going to show this because it's an analogy. <laughs> you can maybe turn around and watch from that screen, possibly. There you go. Come on, 
Um, so we'll leave with, with one uh, last quote, I think. No, almost, sorry. <laughs> um, so a, a book that was impactful on, on us a, a long time ago and still is, is with by Sky Jathani. And uh, in one of the parts, he describes uh, what hope in Jesus is. And um, the Israelites knew uh, kind of the water was kind of described as chaos. It was this unruly, unobedient, um, you know, part of the world, and, and it was really fearful, right? The darkness, I mean, even as the, the description back into the Genesis account of creation, right? God was over the darkness and the waters and that chaos. And, and then, of course, uh, Sky Jathani brings us to this passage in Mark, and it's also in Matthew, uh, where the disciples are in the boat and Jesus calms the storm. And he describes it this way. Um, they did not yet fully understand who was with them in the boat. In time, they would see that he was the one who separated the sea from the land, who preserved Noah through the flood, Moses in the Nile, 
and led the Hebrews, Hebrews to the sea, through the sea, on dry land. He is the one before whom the water tr- waters tremble, and if he is in our boat, we need not be afraid. We will surely arrive at our destination because the forces of evil cannot overwhelm him. When God is when God's with God, there is hope, even in a world that appears to be drowning in chaos. So he is making us into something new. He is making room for more of him and less of us. He's displaying his glory in the midst of our storms, and he is doing it gently and lovingly. We are asking God to help us to always remember that, to always trust that, and we are willing to go back to Papua New Guinea as long as he calls us so that we can support those who are making his words available and accessible to Papua New Guineans and so that we can lovingly remind the youth of Ukarumpa that our God is a God who is worthy of our trust in the midst of any storm. So we wanted to say thank you so much for supporting us in this ministry, uh, for lifting us up in prayer, and for surrounding us with your prayers while we face these storms. Uh, We felt them very profoundly, and we are very thankful to be bound together in love with all of you. Um, So as the worship team comes up, I wanted to take a moment to teach you guys a song in Tokpizin. It's probably a song that you already know, um, but as we attend a church, in PNG, we would attend the Tokpizin service, and, um, uh, and we found that the words just, uh, even though the limited vocabulary, sometimes just the simplicity of the message in Tokpizin really spoke to us. Um, and as we sing this song, uh, we want you to take a minute to look at the verses that you picked up at the side there, <clears throat> and to take the next cards that are on your row, and if you want to write down one or two verses that really speak to you, or just take the paper home. Um, but uh, to dwell on those words and let them sink into your heart and remember the one uh, that the one who calms the seas is with you through all of the storms. So I'll just put the, the words up there, and I'll just read through them once. Um, in Tokpizen, it says, Hide in me, long wing blown you. So literally, hide me in your wing. Karamap in me, long strong plahem blow you. So cover me uh, with your strong hands. And then it says, Time solwara kirap na cloud pirap. So when the solwara is like the ocean, so when the water rises and the thunder crashes, the clouds crash. Bai you holding me, long hand blown you. So bai is in the future, so you will hold me in your hand. Um, God, you big pala, win him tight wara. So you are big and you literally win the water, um, which I love. I think that's my favorite line in Tokpizin. Uh, now me stop easy, na save you God. So uh, stop easy is literally stop easy. I'm at peace, I'm at rest. And save is to know, and I know that you are God. <clears throat> um, and then the second verse is Christ tussle, and belly see blown me, you are my peace. Um, and tussle means only, so you alone are my peace. Save long, strong, blown em, believe na pine So your strength, the strength that you give me. Um, or you will give me strength, and uh, I will believe, believe and find you. Um, so yeah, so I'll re- sing through uh, the song in Tokpizin, and uh, and then we'll repeat a little bit. You can try it with me, and then we'll end in English.
first one again, just try it with me. we went a little long. PNG time, I apologize. But I think, will there be some people to pray if you wanted? Yes. And thank you guys. And can I just pray to close it off then? Okay. Um, God, I just want to thank you for um, being bigger than every storm we will face. Uh, thank you, God, that you do 